Well, good morning once again. I am uh, very thankful to have the opportunity to uh, speak again this morning. Pastor John is away. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Matt Loveday, and I have the privilege of, of working here at Village Green in this community. And um, I have the privilege of, of um, filling in for John today. And um, we're into week five of seven of our summer sermon series called We Fit. And uh, over the course of the series, we have been engaging the reality that life can get complex, that when we try to balance things like our careers, our relationships, our busy schedules, our family responsibilities, our personal goals, and then our spiritual life as well, we at times can feel like our life is is a puzzle that's missing a few pieces and we have this overwhelming sense of incompleteness. And yet we've been talking about the good news that we are not left to our own devices to put our lives together, that God, in fact, has given us pieces to the puzzle, and that as we integrate these pieces that God has given us into our lives, that our lives, the picture of our lives becomes more clear. A little bit of review first so so we can track where we've been. Week one, John was talking about a godly understanding of our identity. And we said that even stronger than the voices of people around us or the forces of culture, the biggest determiner of our identity is our creator, God, who created us to be unique, to not fit into any particular mold, but to be molded to be more like Jesus Christ, retaining our own uniqueness, being the best version of me that we can be. Week two, we looked at then our purpose. We tackled a big concept of God's will for our lives. We discovered that actually the Bible is pretty clear on God's will. We are to be conformed to the image of Christ. We are to be moving ever and ever more into Christ likeness. Beyond that, there's a lot of freedom that God has given us in life to make certain choices and life decisions. Week three took us into discussing spiritual gifts The reality that we've been gifted, we have abilities, we have talents to contribute to our community, to people around us, to the world. We have a voice that can contribute to what God is doing, and we we should be using it. And then just last week, John talked about the truth that we are not meant to be alone in life. How our spiritual vitality is directly linked to our relational harmony. And that when we gather together as true community, in Jesus' name, if we offer to one another things like wisdom, hospitality, encouragement, and grace, that we have the ability to speak into one another's lives and change the trajectory of one another's lives in a positive way each and every day. So there's our review. All right. This morning, I have the opportunity to speak about illuminating the journey. What tools do we have to try to keep on track with life, how God is leading us. We all know that life can throw us curveballs, right? And sometimes these curveballs come at us from out of nowhere and with the speed of a fastball, and they threaten to just knock us off track. And if you're not tracking with the Major League Baseball theme from watching the All-Star game this week, um, let me put it to you another way. Life is like a box of... Right, you guys are Forrest Gump fans like that. All right, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Well, I guess poor Forrest never got one of those legends that comes with your box of chocolates. 
But even if you've tried to read those, you know, sometimes you go, you think you're getting the caramel one that you want, but you bite into it. Coconut cream, right? I don't know why they put coconut cream in there. You might like coconut cream. You're the reason they put coconut cream. I just figured that out. But what Forrest is getting at is a point we all know, that life can be unpredictable. It can change for better or for worse in a moment. Anything from the birth of a child to the death of a loved one, from getting married to the possibility of facing divorce, from getting news of a new job or the news of a cancer diagnosis, from a chance encounter with an old friend that you've lost touch with or an accident on the highway. These things drastically change our lives and we've all experienced them to one degree or another. Some we can control and predict. Others blindside us and they threaten to knock us off the path and totally take us out of, out of that zone where God is leading us in. We all love the idea of predictability and control, don't we? Um, we like to live with the illusion that we have it, that I'm in control of my life. I know exactly what's going to happen. Nothing's going to, you know, I'm in control. But if we're honest with ourselves, we realize each and every day something happens that reminds us, whoa, this can change in the blink of an eye. My, uh, my cousin once said to me that, that life isn't like Saskatchewan with a long, straight road of predictability that you can see for miles and miles to come. Life is actually more like Alberta, where the road winds, steep ascents, bumpy descents, sharp curves. You never really know what's around the next corner. This is the unpredictability of life. And what do we do with it? That's what I'm going to try to focus on this morning. What do we do when life becomes unpredictable, when those circumstances in life threaten to knock us off of track and scatter to the wind all of those pieces of the puzzle that we're so carefully and controllingly putting together? What happens when they get knocked off track? I want to focus on one sure thing that God has given to us this morning that is a consistent and constant source of stability in our lives, the Bible. And I know that that is such a Sunday school answer, right? You know, where you say, Jesus, God, or the Bible. And even with that, through those three answers, you've got a 50-50 chance, because Jesus is God, right? That's why it's a great Sunday school answer. But it's true, isn't it? Because the Bible is the key to navigating us through life with a right understanding of God, ourselves, and the world. The Bible is the key because it is the thing that navigates us through life to give us a right understanding of God, ourselves, and the world. And if it's the key thing to understanding how we can stay on track, my question is, why is it left unread by so many? Why sometimes do I leave it unread in my own life? I don't know. With today's world, you know, you need to know how to get somewhere. You plug something in a GPS. Boom. You got it. You got your answer. Um, you know, you want to you need to figure something out. You need to know something. Google. Boom. You got it. Something happens in life where you're not sure how to handle it. You watch the Oprah Winfrey Network. I don't know. But we, we turn to these things so quickly and so easily to look for our answers. But the Bible is the key to navigating us through life. Because it gives us a right understanding of who God is, who we are, and the world that we live in. What place does the Bible play in our lives? 
Does it direct us? Does it lead us? Listen to some of these verses. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Psalm 119, 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 2 Timothy 3, 15-17 You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now, it's probably pretty obvious this morning that I'm speaking from a pretty strong bias, that the word of God is true and utterly reliable. And I'm, I'm preaching from that perspective because it's a perspective that I personally hold. And it's a perspective that we as a church hold. If you go on our church website... Um, www.vgchurch.org and you look under about us and there's a we believe section it says this this is what we believe as a church about the bible it is entirely in its entirety is the inspired word of god and is without error that it is the source of all truth and the ultimate guidebook for living right off our church website so i'm preaching from a bias And I want to establish that early because I realize that there are a lot of people in our world that would question, is the Bible really the word of God? Is it really true? Can I really trust it to give me a right understanding of who God is, who I am, and what the the world is all about? Well, that's a whole other sermon, and I'm not going to go there this morning. I'm preaching from that bias and preaching from you from the truth that the Bible is indeed a revealed source from God to keep us on track through the sharp turns and unpredictable, unpredictability of life. Okay, so there's much I could say this morning, obviously, right? I'm going to key in on three um, things that the Bible consistently speaks into our lives. Genesis to Revelation, these things are spoken to God, to us, through the Bible. The first is truth. And by truth, I, means the, I mean that the Bible gives us a right understanding of God through the incarnation of Jesus. The Bible gives us a right understanding of God through the incarnation of Jesus. Certainly, the most important thing that the Bible does is reveal to us the character, the plan, and the heart of God through the person of Jesus. Everything in the Bible, as I said, from Genesis to Revelation, points for us to God, who God is. And nothing or no one reveals God to us more clearly than Jesus, God in human flesh. Again, a couple of verses for us to look at. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. Long ago, God spoke, many, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Colossians 1, 19. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. These are central uh, for us as Christians. These verses are central to us as Christians. The idea of the incarnation for us to discover who God is. Because God loved the world so much, he sent his son. He came to earth, took on the form of a man, and walked among us. 
And through his life, death, and resurrection, he revealed to us God's character, his plan, and his heart. He walked among us. I'm currently reading a book called Untamed. It's about Christian discipleship. And Alan and Deborah Hirsch are the writers of it. And at the beginning of the book, they, they, they create, um, they talk about this point in the sense that they say that our understanding of Jesus, because it determines our concept of God, of who God is, we better be sure to get it right. Because if we don't, we're going to be way off track. They say, basically, if you don't have a right understanding of Jesus, you can veer drastically off the course of your life as a Christian because you'll be heading in the wrong direction and not following Jesus, even if you have the best intentions and the best motives. They go on to say, it's a pretty strong, strong statement. They say that ignorance of Jesus, willful or otherwise, creates actually a toxic religion that is not only not worth spreading, but detrimental to the cause of Christ. As I said, strong words, but I'm sure that each of us can think of a clear example this morning of a time throughout history or maybe recently, um, today even, where things have been said or done in the name of Jesus, but actually are are very far from the heart of God. Some of these things make the news. They start wars. A lot of them have body counts attached to them. Other examples aren't so dramatic. They might never make the news but they can leave a trail of carnage in people's lives because people have been misled about who God is because they've been misinformed about who Jesus is. I find it interesting that even in the Bible, Jesus came and lived among the Jewish people, probably one of the most religious-based groups, uh, people groups of all time, a group he established by himself. And as Jesus comes, some people don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. They don't recognize God walking in their midst. Think about this. They're so religiously devout. No one's questioning their, their, their motivation or their intention to do as God wants them to do. But God comes and walks among them, and they don't even recognize him. More than that, they crucify him on a Roman cross. If we, need, if we want, we must understand who God is, and we must do it through understanding the person of Jesus. God has revealed himself to us perfectly, completely, in the person of Jesus Christ. And I say that just because it's so important for us as Christians to keep our eyes on Jesus in faith. To keep our eyes on Jesus. Not to make God into someone or something we want him to be. He has revealed himself to us. The French, the French Enlightenment writer Voltaire once said that God made us in our image and then we return to the favor. And we do that so often. We shape God into who we want him to be. But we can't do that. He has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ through the scriptures. That is the only way we can have a clear picture of who God is, is to have a clear understanding of who Jesus is. You know, when I was a little boy, I remember being in a department store with my dad and uh, I was holding his hand and um, I got distracted by a bin of toys, as every child would be. And I let go of his hand and I went over. I remember looking at the toys, probably just a couple of minutes. And uh, I went back over there and uh, just from my eye level, what I could see, I saw the beautiful blue plaid pants my dad was wearing. That shows you my age a little bit, but I saw the beautiful blue plaid pants my dad was wearing. I reached up, I took a hold of his hand and as I looked up, I did not recognize the face. (laughs) Obviously, someone had the same great taste in pants. 
but but this person was not my father. And I share this little parable of sorts from my own life, because if we want to be sure that we're holding on to the hand of God, we must look into the face of Jesus because the Bible reveals him to us in Jesus. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The Bible speaks this truth to us. The second word the Bible speaks into our lives is is encouragement. And we had a whole sermon on that last week, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But I do want to acknowledge that this is a key aspect of, of the Bible. It speaks encouragement into our lives by giving us a right understanding of ourselves through the gospel messages of others. And by gospel messages, I mean the Bible is full of stories of people throughout history who have lived imperfect lives, who have lived through family disorder and dysfunction, who have lived through disease, who have lived through war, who have lived with hardship and suffering, who have lived through the joys and celebrations of life. People just like you and just like me. But their stories of how God has used them, empowered them, enabled them in life to accomplish his purposes and his plans. And it's a powerful thing when we can realize their stories are our stories. God is still writing his story. And we are a part of it. Our lives are a part of it. You see, our human perspective and instinct to pain and disappointment in the world is we tend to hold it in. We keep it private and we project a more confident self to the world, don't we? It's nothing new. We all do it to some degree or another. But when we do that, when we hide those things away, when we hold on to them by ourselves and we don't deal with them, we can run the risk of getting so far off track in life because they absorb our time and our energy to keep those things to ourselves, to hide them, to put that front up all the time. We must invite other people and God into our lives to speak into those areas. In doing so, when we, when we shut the world out, those words that you hear, you keep to yourself. And I know because it happens to me those same phrases go over in your mind. And I'm not sure what your phrase is, but phrases like, you're the only one that struggles with that. If they knew that about you, they would never respect you. Nobody can understand you and what you're going through. You're the worst ever. There's nobody worse than you. These are harsh statements, but we speak them to ourselves. But they are not the words that God longs to speak to us. God longs for a gospel story to be revealed in our lives, for change to happen. One of my favorite stories in the Bible comes from the book of Judges, the character of Gideon. And um, Judges is, is an, in an Old Testament book, and it deals with a period of history of Israel where they've moved into the promised land, but they're kind, of, they're kind of struggling, and they struggle because they forget God. And this cycle kind of happens in, in Judges, where the Israelites forget God, they, they don't obey him, they get off track. Basically, and uh, they kind of spiral down. God sends a, a nation to punish them. So they're in slavery or they're in they're banished or they're struggling in life. And then God raises up a deliverer. And Gideon's one of these deliverers that God raises up. Um, and then they get back on track. And then wouldn't you know it, just like us so many times, we kind of get off track again. So it's a book about staying on track. It fits perfectly what we're talking about today. And the thing about Gideon is this. He's an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin. And uh, 
At this particular time, the Midianites is the country that's wreaking havoc on Israel. They've taken over the land. They've pushed the Israelites to live in caves, uh, people living in fear. Um, anytime they try to harvest any food or scrounge up food, the Midianite come along and they, and they take it from them. So people are starving. They're living in caves. So Gideon ventures out one day. He needs food for his family. He somewhere gets a hold of some wheat. And the Bible says that he goes and he starts threshing this wheat in the wine press, which is a bizarre thing to do. But it, it was a safe place. It was a hidden place. He wasn't living a confident life. He was cowering in fear and, and trying to just pound out some, some, some grain for his family, right? And the thing about the story is that the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon in the wine press in the midst of this life circumstance. And the angel of the Lord says, Mighty hero, God wants to use you to rescue his people. He is with you. Mighty hero. He's pounding out some grain in a wine press in fear of the Midianites who are going to come. He doesn't seem like a mighty hero. But the truth is, and this is revealed time and time again in Scripture, but Gideon, it comes so clear to me, is is this truth. God sees us as he intends us to be, not as we are. He didn't see Gideon as a fearful man cowering in a wine press just trying to, to scrape by in life. He saw him as a mighty hero. He says, I have purposes and I have plans for your life. And I want to speak into your life. And most importantly, he says, I am with you. You see, God has a name for us. It probably isn't the name that you would choose for yourself. It's a name of purpose. It's a name of encouragement. And I'm not sure where you're at this morning or what you're facing in life, but I'll bet that there's a name that your heart just longs to hear from God. Maybe you're feeling a bit like Gideon this morning. You're living in that fear and insecurity of something in your life. You're just trying to make it through. You're just wondering, you're pounding out your grain in the wine press, and I don't know how I'm going to make it another day, but I'm, I'm, I'm scrounging here. I hope this morning that God speaks to your heart of that name that he has for you. A name not derived from how you're now living, but how God wants you to live. Maybe it's a name like Mighty Warrior. Maybe it's a name like Beautiful. Courageous One. She who holds her head high. Honored one. Hebrews chapter 11 is um, the chapter of faith in the Bible. And it recounts the story of, of a long list of people in micro form. Their stories of, of, of life and faith. Gideon's mentioned there, but so are people like Rahab and David uh, and Moses and Abraham and Abel. There's just a bunch of characters uh, that, that reveal their life of faith. But as you get to know the characters, you realize that their lives are filled with hardship. Their lives are filled with struggle. Their lives are filled with disappointment. But their lives are filled with faith. And that's why they're there. On the heel of Hebrews 12 is these two verses from, sorry, on the heels of Hebrews 11 are these verses from Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. As we run the race, let's tell our stories. Let's tell our gospel stories. Let's read of the gospel stories that are in here, but let's tell our gospel stories as we do our everyday walking about. 
Because we have stories to tell of how God is working in our lives. They're stories of encouragement. Lastly, the Bible speaks to us of hope. And by this I mean that the Bible gives us a right understanding of the world as it is through the revelation that all things are being made new in Jesus. We all need a little hope in life, don't we, to get us through? And this wonderful, glorious um, book that God has given to us is full of hope for us in Jesus Christ. There's three things that the Bible teaches us about our world. I'm going to summarize it really simply. One, the world is created by God. We can't forget that. God's still the creator. He's still in control. Secondly, the world is currently not as it should be. Most people agree with that. There's lots of things that happen in the world that should never happen. There's lots of things that people say that should never be said. The world is not as it should be. But thirdly, the world will one day be made new. That through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our lives and the world will never be the same. Because through that gospel, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, all things are being made new. We all need hope in life. There is a time coming when things will change. When the effect of sin will, will be lifted from our lives and from this world. And we will enter into a future prepared for us by Jesus. This is essentially what hope says. Hold on. You can make it. Change is coming. When I was 19 years old, I had the physically demanding privilege uh, of climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. It's the highest mountain in all of Africa. And uh, it takes five days to complete this, three days to ascend uh, just a little bit over 19,000 feet and only two days to get back down. Isn't that the case? The road up always is longer than the road down. Um, it's probably one of the most challenging things I've ever done in my life. That third day of, of climbing is the hardest. You're at the steepest part of the mountain. It's called the Scree. It's, uh, it's, got lo- it's basically just loose gravel. It's at such a steep angle, you have to wind back and forth like this. So you're not really making a lot of ground this way. It's, it's slow going. And as you take steps, you know, there's no firm ground under your feet. It's like, you know, you're, you're walking, you take a step forward, you kind of slide half a step back, and you keep... Everything seems to be against you to get to the top. And there, I, I almost didn't make it. I remember one time, I, 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 oh, you start at midnight, that's the other thing. You have to start your last day at midnight and, and you, have to, you have to climb up. You, you, don't, you, know, you have no food in your stomach. The air is real thin up there, so breathing is more difficult. It's one of the only places in Africa where it's freezing cold up there. Um, there's just so much against you, right? And, and I, almost, I almost didn't make it. I remember collapsing on some rocks and, and I just said, that's it. I'm, who would ever want to climb a stupid mountain? <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. I'm staying here. The people I was climbing with came around me and said, you know, keep going, Matt. You can, you can make it. We're almost there. Come on, you know. Um, I eventually did make it up to the summit just in time to see the sunrise. It was the most incredible thing I think I've ever witnessed um, as far as the sunrise goes. And there's some really beautiful sunrises. But the thing about the story is that um, as I was heading back down, starting my descent, I was just, I was minutes into my descent and I, and I came across a lady who was down on her hands and knees in the loose rock and gravel on her hands and knees, tears streaming down her face. And she said, how much further? 
And I was able to, to bend down so she could hear me and look her in the eye and say, you're almost there. You can make it. And you know what? It's worth it. Keep going. And um, sometimes life can feel like we're climbing a mountain, like everything's against us. Like we can't gain that ground. We can't ever get to the peak. We can't ever turn, turn that corner and, and, and go the other direction. Some of these situations leave us literally on our hands and knees and, and with tears streaming down our face asking that same question. How much longer do I have to deal with this? How much longer? How much further? See, the troubles of this world are very real. And we as Christians should never deny that. I think it's foundational to the gospel. The world is not as it should be. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is that it is being made new in Jesus Christ. That there is hope in the midst of that. John 16.33 Jesus says this, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jeremiah 29.11 God says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. To hope in the Lord does not mean that we're not allowed to experience pain and hurt. We don't need to hide that from anybody and suppress that from anybody. We acknowledge the hurts and pains of the world. But in the name of Jesus Christ, we also do not allow those pains and hurts to define who we are and determine our future. Because Jesus does that for us. And in those times, we need to hold tightly to him. These are some of the key messages that I personally feel that God is, is speaking to us through the pages of the Bible. And I'd sum it up with these three statements. God speaks truth to us. He says in a very incarnational way, I am with you. I, God, am with you. That is the truth. Secondly, encouragement. And by that, I mean you are not alone. You are not alone. Everything you're experiencing is not new to me, says God. You're not alone. Other people have walked with you in years past. Other people are walking with you presently today. And there will be another generation to come that also will walk these same paths. You are not alone. And lastly, the Bible speaks hope to us. You can make it. You can make it. Life is hard. Life gets really, really difficult sometimes. But you can make it. Jesus longs to give you hope and he speaks hope to your life through the pages of scripture. So, in wrapping up here, this, these are the messages that I feel illuminate the journey for us. Keep us on track. When things tend to, or threaten to be blown off course, these are the words that the Bible is speaking to us. You know, there's a story in the Bible of the Apostle Peter, uh, I'm sure maybe many of you have heard it before, where, where Jesus, uh, sorry, Peter is in the boat and, uh, and, and he sees Jesus and he wants to walk to him and he wants to get out of the boat and walk on water. And uh, so Jesus calls him, says, come, come to me. Peter jumps out of the boat and starts heading towards Jesus. And he's doing great as long as he's focusing on Jesus. But then he starts to look at the waves around him and, and, and the trouble and the peril that he's potentially in and is in. And he starts to sink. This is one of the stories in the Bible. And it speaks to us that story of truth. 
that Jesus, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. To stay on track, keep your eyes on Jesus. There's another story in the Bible, again, really well known, about a a young shepherd boy named David who uh, faces the ridicule, the torment, and the abuse of a giant of a man named Goliath. A giant who tells him, you're too small, you're too weak. I'm going to crush you. But David trusts in the strength of God, not in his own strength. And he mans up and he slays a giant. How does this not speak encouragement each and every time into our lives when we hear a gospel story like that that says no matter what giants you face in life, God's strength can fell it and cause you to stand in the end? A word of encouragement. Or like Gideon, we already talked about him, where he once lived in the crippling reality of his present, but God spoke a name to him, a name of who he was, and gave him a vision of the future a future in freedom, a future with changed circumstances, a new name for himself, a name that gave him great hope. These are the stories of the Bible. And you know what? There are stories too. You have stories to tell. They're ours for the telling. We're going to close this morning's message with a, a short video that reminds us that out of all of the voices that we hear in life, we should listen and believe the word of God the lamp to guide our feet, to illuminate our journey, the voice of truth.